Amen. May be seated. I really love that song. Not just uh, because it's one of those wonderful traditional hymns, but if you really ponder the heartbeat and the core truth of that song, uh, there's application into our lives, perhaps even into your life this morning. If you're here, you're listening or watching online, how great thou art, right? And we sing it, we believe it, it stirs us, and yet sometimes when circumstances in our life uh, flip our world upside down, how great thou art can seem like a distant song that we sang in church on Sunday when you're confronted with situations and, and everything in you is trying to stay focused, wants to stay focused, wants to, uh, as we have seen in the last several weeks through the Apostle Paul, have confidence and trust, uh, you know, sometimes it can be quite challenging. And sometimes that's why it's even helpful, even if you can't sing the words, to put them on in your car or at home, right? Uh, because uh, as humans, right, daily we make choices through the circumstances of life. And, and I really like that song, and it really sets us up and transitions us back into the book of Philippians, uh, the letter, I should say, you know, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in the city of Philippi. The Apostle Paul writing after about two years of being uh, in house arrest and imprisonment. And we're going to look at Philippians 1, 12 through 18 today. And, and really the, the heartbeat is, is really challenging us on focus, challenging us really on and reminding us that we all have the ability to choose. No matter what circumstance you may find yourself in today, tomorrow, uh, maybe as you're sitting right now, you have the ability to choose. You have the ability to choose to, to, to put your faith, confidence, trust in the Lord. You have the ability to choose to, you know, sometimes around here you'll, say, you, you'll hear us say, uh, come up to 10,000 feet, right? Because sometimes uh, we're in the forest and we're on the, the ground level of the forest and we can't even see the sun. And sometimes we have to be reminded that we can choose to get out uh, and, and go up to 10,000 feet, and get some perspective, right? Uh, in the last uh, several weeks, you know, every once in a while I share a story about Corey Ten Boom and the lessons we can learn from her in her time with her and her sister in Robinsbrook, uh, the Nazi death camp. And, and I came across something that I think really uh, challenges us, inspires us, and really prepares us to walk through Philippians this morning. It says this, when Corey Ten Boom was living in a German concentration camp during World War II, her entire body became infested with lice, making a bad situation even worse. She was complaining about it one day, and her sister reminded her of the Bible verse that says, in everything, give thanks. And she challenged Corey to give thanks for the lice. Corey's response was, how can I give thanks to God for lice? But she made a choice to do it anyway. Later, she found out that the lice had actually protected her from the sexual assaults of the German soldiers. See, how great thou art. Give thanks in everything. Sometimes in the middle of circumstances, how can I choose to do that? And sometimes, quite honestly, it's just simply a choice. 
We don't wait for our feelings. You know, sometimes people uh, equate getting motivated to do something with waiting for the right feeling when actually motivation is directly related to action. You act and then your feelings follow. Right? And so sometimes even as followers of Jesus, uh, we sing the song or we know a verse and everything give thanks. And yet in the middle of it, you may not feel like it. You may not want to. Everything in you is railing against it. And yet you simply make a choice. Because in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we call obedience. And I'm guessing that many of you, I know this in my own life and maybe uh, you here. How many of you have simply made a choice despite your feelings? Maybe your feelings being absolutely contrary to the choice, but you know the choice is what would please God, what would honor God, what would be in faith and obedience. How many of you have ever made a choice and then your feelings followed? And you were, you were like, okay, okay. And that's very difficult because we live in a very feelings-driven culture, a very me-centered filter, everything through how I want, I think, I feel, and and you know, that can set you up for some very, very challenging, challenging seasons of life. And so we're going to look at the Apostle Paul writing to believers who are genuinely concerned about how he's doing, knowing that he's been under house arrest for two years, knowing that prior to these two years of arriving in Rome, he had quite the journey just to get there. Lots of trials, persecutions, near-death experiences. And so he's writing this letter to believers because they're concerned about his well-being. So Philippians 1, 12 through 18 says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed And in that, I rejoice, right? There's a perspective there that really goes back to what we've seen of of his confidence and his joy. So Philippians 1.12 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. When he says, I want you to know, that word know is more than just head knowledge. It's a Greek word, gnosko, and it means experiential knowledge, right? If I were, for instance, if I had an apple, and I told you all about this apple, you would say, yeah, now I know about the apple, right? But to really know the apple, what would you need to do? Bite it, right? Take a bite. And then you say, I know that apple. That's gnosko. That's experiential knowledge. That's when Jesus says, we know Jesus. It's more than knowing just about Jesus. It's knowing him experientially. That's faith. When you come to faith, you know Jesus in a gnosko kind of way. Well, the apostle Paul says, I want you to know. See, this is more than just head knowledge, more than just, hey, by the way, this is what happened. He says, I want you to know experientially what I went through so that you can apply and experience it in your own life. 
I want you to know this. Don't just sit here. Don't just listen to the letter I'm writing. I want you to really ponder it. I want you to take it to heart because I want you to get to the same place where you experience what I've experienced in my journey the last several years. Even as I sit in prison writing this, I want you to experience this with me in your own life, right? So that's the word no. And it says, what has happened to me? And again, we know that Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome. So he says, so what has happened to me? And it's what's really amazing is, if you put up that verse again, uh, verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's really interesting, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and he just keeps right on moving, has really served to advance the gospel. What, 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 what strikes you, what strikes me, what should strike you is that he doesn't say, what has happened to me, and let me tell you. What has happened to me? And he doesn't go on to 5, 10, 20 pages of every woe is me and how unfair life has been. He doesn't dwell on all the, you know, I'm a victim and oh my gosh, where was God? And, uh, he says, what has happened to me? And he moves right on. Don't miss that because a lot of us get stuck at what has happened to me. That's the choice. Are you choosing to dwell on what has happened to you? Or can you make the choice like the Apostle Paul does in that verse? Very, very powerful switch right there. He chooses not to focus on what has happened to him, but what God has done in him and through him because of the circumstances. Amen? Do you see the difference? See, a lot of us, even as believers... We get stuck on what has happened to me, and maybe this morning you're stuck at what is happening to me. And you're on the ground floor of the forest or whatever, and you're fighting, and you're just like, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why would a loving God allow this? God, I thought you loved me. God, God, God. And and you're, you're, you're choosing to stay focused on what is happening, or how could they have done that? Yesterday, last week, five years, ten years ago, what has happened? And you're still rehearsing it over and over and over. And every time you go down that path, it doesn't do you any good. Right? And we choose to either live in what has happened or what is happening. And I'm not minimizing it because I got my what has and what is as well. But what I've recognized is there's a choice we can make. We can, cho- we can choose in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can choose because God is good and all the time, which means he desires our goodness all the time, even though we don't understand why he allows bad things, right? We have to make a choice. And so the Apostle Paul, I want you to know what has happened to me, has really served. <laughs> he dwells right on it. He, just, he, just, he doesn't dwell on it. He moves right into testimony and celebration of what God has done through it, right? It's not about him, right? The title of today's sermon is, it's all good because it's not about me. You see, as believers, if we can sort of understand that our highest purpose here is really not about, it's to honor and glorify God, just to really serve him and bring all glory and honor to him. That's my life purpose. That's our life purpose, right? So anything in my life, it's all good because it's not about me. And yet again, 
Sounds really good, but we have been raised in a culture where it's about you. It's all about you. And, and even in the church, there's this tension we have, right? To serve you, to make you comfortable. Nice, clean rows. Just the right temperature. How's the lighting, right? Coffee, lemonade, hopefully cheese and donuts one day again, right? And right, amen, right? And, and so we make even church so nice. And inadvertently, we can be creating this, it's all about you. We're here to serve you, right? And we create this consumer mentality in the American church. We call it muck church. And now people shop around to the church that meets their need as consumers. And you'll stay as long as the sermons meet your needs, as long as the music meets your needs, as long as the kids' church meets your needs, as long as the refreshments meets your needs. Because in this weird, warped way, we have made church about you. And it's this strange, strange phenomenon, right? Worship is supposed to be about just expressing, responding to God. And oftentimes, oh, that's too loud. I don't like that song. I, 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 you know? And, and because we have bought into this, it's about me. Even when I come to worship God, it's still about me. It, you have to be very careful about that. And so the Apostle Paul, right off the bat, challenges, who's this about? What happened to me? I'm not denying stuff happened to me, but here's what God did through it. Right? And that's really the core of, of, of our time together, right? Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what that means? It means in our finite minds, we're not going to understand. Why father does what father does. Or father allows what father allows. But what we do know through the word of God is that God is good. And all the time. Okay. So I'm not going to dwell on why, what I don't understand. I'm going to dwell on what I do know about my father. That he's good. That he's loving. That he'll never leave me nor forsake me. That he has a plan and purpose for my life. I choose to focus on what I do know. And the things that are beyond me, I'll leave that to him. And I don't know how it works in heaven, but maybe I'll ask him. Hey, by the way, Father, you remember that time? Like, what were you thinking? What was your thought process? You know, or you do this. How many of you have ever had a situation in your life? You don't understand it. You don't understand it. You don't understand it. You don't like it. Da, 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 da. And then you work through it. And then in retrospect, how many of you have ever had that aha moment? Like, oh, 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 <laughs> that's why you're God and I'm not. Right? You ever have that? It's like humbling. You're like, oh, <laughs> you're in charge. You, had, you were working this person. You were working that. You had it all. You just wanted me just to trust you. Anyone ever have that? And you're like, I am so glad I didn't mess it up. But in the middle of it, you're like, ah, I got a road girl straight in after. Like, in, right, in retrospect, wow, God, you had it all the time. And, man, your ways are higher than mine. So there's an element of faith. Faith, right? And so it says, right, in uh, Philippians 12, it says, what has happened to me has really served to advance 
the gospel. That word advance is a military term, actually. And what it refers to is uh, the military unit that would be woodcutters. And what they would do is if, uh, if an army is advancing through the forest, this unit would go and cut down all the trees to make room for the army to come through the forest. So what he's saying is, you know what? All the trials and tribulations, they have been at the unit in front of the gospel advancing. God's been using them to prepare the way for the gospel. Okay? The NIV application says this. When difficult, even life-threatening circumstances face us, we should take Paul as our example and look for how God might be working in such circumstances to advance the gospel either in our lives or in the lives of others. Right? I remember... Before, when I was in college, I'd have friends who were believers. I wasn't saved back then. They would try to share the gospel with me, right? And my life was good. I didn't need anyone. I was at UCLA. I was doing fine. Most of the time, I would just blow them off, right? But then life kind of took a turn, and suddenly life wasn't good for me. And little did I know that God was using those trying circumstances to prepare the way for me to receive the gospel, because up until the time, that time, I was fine. Thank you very much. Fine, thank you very much. But even as an unbeliever, God was using trying circumstances to humble me, to bring me to the end of myself. It was the advanced unit for the gospel to come in, right? Jay Ligon Duncan says this, God never wastes those circumstances. You are too precious to your heavenly father for him to waste pain and suffering. He always has gospel purposes in your pain, suffering, difficulties, your hard circumstances. He always has gospel purposes. There's a reason behind it. That's the element, right? And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't, I don't like this. It, you don't have to like it. There's things in my life I don't particularly care for at this moment. But by faith, I can choose that God has a purpose. I can put my faith in him, my confidence in my trust in him, that his ways are higher, that he's good all the time, that he has a plan and purpose, nothing can thwart it. So even though I don't like it, I can trust him. And I can rest in him, in him. And it's that, it's that time when, when again, you, maybe what's helpful is if you remember the times in your life when you work through a very difficult situation and you saw the growth in you that happened. You ever have that happen? You get stretched, you get pulled, you feel like you're into the rope, I can't do it, da, da, da. It goes on and suddenly you, it, the, the, you know, the clears and you're like, whoa, and you look back and you're like, I grew. Anyone ever had one of those, I grew through that moment? I matured, right? But for that, I wouldn't ever have gotten to this place. It wasn't, pretty and it wasn't pleasant but in retrospect i'm a better person i'm a better believer because i went through the fire right and i think about even even our church family through this pandemic and and i i was reflecting as i was preparing for this i'm like you know what the pandemic has been unpleasant and challenging right but as a church family we have literally grown in the last year and a half. Spiritually grown and numerically grown. See, because here's the thing. There's some of you here who have joined us in the pandemic. 
And I don't know, but perhaps, but for the pandemic, you never would have been circumstantially brought here. I don't know what circumstances in the pandemic, the reality brought you through our door. And here's the thing. If you're watching this at home, live stream, or you're listening to this or whatever, here's the thing. Pre-pandemic, we didn't live stream. And so there are people right now, and I'm, you know, uh, who are joining us live right now in a way that pre-pandemic, you wouldn't have been able to do this live. And I've talked to several people. It's like, you know what? I really like watching it at home. I, I feel connected. And when you turn and you wave and you, you know, you kind of think, well, this is silly. We're going to wave at people at home. You know what matters to them? Because whatever reason, their health reasons or some don't even live in Ojai. We have people who watch us regularly out of Ojai, out of state, right? But for the pandemic, we would not have live stream. And so what the crazy thing is, if you would say, well, how big is your church? I really don't know anymore. But before the pandemic, we were limited to right here. And so I celebrate that. Isn't that, isn't that I mean, as a leadership, and you should celebrate it. You're like, wow, what a, what a teachable moment. Because I've shared with you before, during the pandemic, these chairs were all gone. There was a camera right there, and it would just be me on this entire facility, usually on a Saturday night, just me. And I would push record, and I would run up here, and I would preach and hope that it was right. And I shared with you, sometimes I would get down there after I preached for 45 minutes, just like this. And the challenge for me is to preach just like this to an empty room, right? And one time I would do that, and I'd go down there like, oh, I forgot to plug in the cable. It didn't record. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Right? Literally, 45 minutes of preaching didn't get recorded. And I'm sitting here like, wasn't my, one of my better moments. Probably good that none of you were here at that time either. <laughs> Take a few deep breaths. Ponder for just a moment about why God would allow such a thing, right? And then I choose to refire it up. Meaning, in my, I, I, I got I to gotta, I do it. You guys need a sermon? It, this is what we do, you know? You know, put on your big boy pants and just do what you need to do. So I take a few deep breaths and make sure the audio cable is plugged into the camera this time. Make sure the batteries aren't going to die. And I come back up here and none of you knew. None of you had an idea what had just transpired because I was like, hey, good to see you. You're like, right? But I grew through that too. I grew through that adversity. Like, what was I going to do? I was going to grow up and do what I need to do, right? And I share this with you because even as a church, we have to choose, even in a pandemic, even with masks, even with open, closed, we have to choose to look for what God's doing. We have to choose to look for what God is doing in the life of this church and to celebrate it. To celebrate it. Even in the midst of the unknown moving forward, it's okay. You know what I celebrate? Right now. I celebrate right now. I don't get caught up with whether they're going to be here next Sunday. And you know who I celebrate? You. You and you. Because every Sunday to me, it is the one-off group. This group will never be here again. Here and here combined, it, it will never happen again. It just doesn't. Barry may not be here. Da, da, da. I know that. So I choose every Sunday to live in the present with who is here and the privilege we have to worship together. Amen? I celebrate that. 
I don't dwell on, you know, what has happened. No, no. we got to celebrate. we got to look for what God is doing, right? I love these verses that we looked at uh, the last several weeks, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen? 831. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We saw this, right? We studied this. What does that mean? It means that nobody or nothing on this planet can thwart God's plan for you. Nothing can defeat God's plan for you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. That's an incredible confidence booster. Nothing can stop his plan for you. We win. We win. Philippians 1, 13 to 14 says this. Apostle Paul keeps going. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in verse 13 and 14, he's talking about the impact this has had on two groups of people, the unsaved and the saved. Tradition goes, and, and historically, if he was in, in prison, what would happen is there would, he, be, he would have a guard with him. And when it says the imperial guard, that some people call it the praetorium, those were the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets, the special forces of the Roman army. About nine, ten thousand of them handpicked. Those are the Navy SEALs that would be guarding him. And every four to six hours, they would rotate. And so they would be with him all the time, which means they would hear him talking to people. They would hear him sharing the gospel with people. They would hear him explaining how he's in prison for Christ. That's what he says. This Navy SEAL team and all the court officials, they were hearing about Jesus. They knew I was a Christian. They knew I was in house imprisonment, not just because I was a common criminal. I was there for a very specific reason. I'm a Christian, and I'm there for Christ, right? And so he's very aware that these soldiers and court officials are around, listening, observing, and he takes advantage of the opportunity to be around the unsaved. Great lesson there. For us as believers at home, at work, in your neighborhood, are you aware? Do people know you're a Christian? And you're living for Christ? Not because you're in their face and beating them over the head with the Bible, but just how you live. Your integrity, your conduct, your kind words, right? Your work ethic. People are watching you, right? The Navy SEALs and the court officials, they were watching and they were listening to this Apostle Paul who had been brought to Rome because of Jesus. Great reminder for us. If you're around the unsaved, anywhere, restaurants. How many of you have ever been at a restaurant and inadvertently overheard something going on at the other table? Right? People are listening to you too. People are listening to you too. Uh, in San Diego, uh, when I was in, just starting out in youth ministry, there was a kid, kind of inner city kid, and uh, We'd take him to church on Sundays, and then I think we would go usually to like Burger King or something. And we brought him weeks and weeks and weeks, came from a, a kind of a very dysfunctional, challenging home. So he would come out with me, we'd pick him up. And then during lunch one time, we just got to talking, and I ended up sharing, I was just talking to him about Jesus. You know, we didn't do it all the time, but just kind of the door opened, and I kind of thought, okay, this is time to share what Jesus is all about, yada, yada, yada. 
It's just me and him. We're talking. He's on the other side of the table. And, and then we pray together like the first time. He accepts Christ like in Burger King, right? And so we're praying, and, and he prays his amen, right? And as, when we're done, this couple behind us in the booth behind us comes around and says, that was so cool. And they left. I had no clue they were listening to the whole thing. You know, and it's a reminder. Paul's under house arrest, but he's very aware of the people who are around him and the impact he can have just by his words and his actions, okay? And then in verse 14, it says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only is he impacting the unsaved, saved brothers, sisters, they've heard about him. They know he's out there speaking, and now they're just more bold. Now, when it says they're more bold to speak the word, that's not preaching. That's everyday conversation. They have been inspired by how Paul has conducted himself. They are now inspired to be more bold in their faith. And I really want to encourage you, okay? Without even knowing it, you can be inspiring other brothers and sisters to be more bold. If you will be. You're like, oh, but I'm never going to be up there with you. I can't speak like you. You don't have to. You just got to be you. Just be an encourager. Just be open. Share your faith. And you might be encouraging others around you to do the same thing. Okay? And in uh, verse 15 to 18, it says this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So it's really interesting, right? So he shifts to verses 12 to 14, kind of focusing on his circumstances, right? Now he shifts to like, and, and by the way, I'm dealing with, with some people in the church. I'm dealing with some believers. Now, one group of believers, they love me, right? They get it. They know why I'm there. They support me. They're out there preaching Christ, and it's from love. They're, they're on, you know, Team Paul, if you want to call it that, right? They're on Team Paul, and they love me, right? And they're preaching from goodwill. But it's really interesting. He says, but you know what? Here's this, here's this crazy thing. There's these other believers in Rome who want to actually make my life worse. They, they want to create more trouble for me, right? Eile, put, put up those verses again, 15 to 18. It says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That's that other group, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Okay, that's team Paul. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's kind of, think about this. Now, he doesn't say they're preaching a false gospel. So they're preaching Christ, but their heart and motives are all about self. And he says, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They want to make Paul's life worse. 
Some think that maybe because Paul was under house arrest, that these are, you know, anyone familiar with church politics? Just a little bit, right? Because Paul's out of commission and under house arrest, well, maybe we can make a name for ourselves. Maybe it's time for us to kind of rise up in the pecking order in the world of the church in Rome and, you know, we're going to preach Christ, but it's not really about us. They're preaching Christ, right? It's not a false doctrine, but their heart, it's about selfish ambition. It's about selfish ambition. Pastor Stephen Cole says this, I have found over the years that the most stinging criticism comes from fellow believers, not from the world. You expect the world to be hostile, but you also expect Christians to be on your side. Yet I have encountered the most hostility from those in the church, not from those outside. Right? And this is the Apostle Paul. He's like, you know what? Let me just be honest with you. I know that there's people on Team Paul. They're believers. They love me, and they're out there supporting me, goodwill, preaching Christ on the right heart. But let me be real honest with you. I also know that there's quote-unquote believers out there, and they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're throwing me under the bus. My situation's bad enough, and now believers are even making it worse. Right? Intentionally. This is an intent. This isn't like, oops, I'm sorry. This is intentional, willful, willful choices. What would you do? Would you rejoice? Or would you get pretty bent? Right? See, 12 through 14, he makes a choice to rise above his circumstances. 15 to 18, he makes a choice to rise above people. People who are intentionally trying to make his life miserable. Question. How do you deal with people like that? Right? What do you focus on? Revenge. How could they? Can't believe it. And then you throw the fact that they're in the church. As believers, there's some salt in the wound. They should know better. Doesn't the Bible say? I saw them on Sunday putting their hands up. Right? We've all been there like, what? Makes it worse. What does the Apostle Paul say? Put it back up, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. It's all good because it's not about me. He chooses to go to 10,000 or 20,000 or 50,000 feet. He says, you know what? I'm not going to focus on these people. God will deal with them. What I'm focusing on is that even though they have ill intent and their motives are whack, God's still using it for the proclamation of gospel. Amen? He's not condoning unbiblical methods or anything like that. No, he's very well. What he is choosing is he's choosing to focus that God is bigger than these people. And maybe someone this morning just needs to be encouraged that God is bigger than your circumstances and God is bigger than the people in your life trying to make your life miserable right now. God is bigger. Amen? And it's crazy. He says, so, that the, so he says that he will rejoice. It, it, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. That's what he's focusing on. That the gospel's still going out. 
through Team Paul and not Team Paul. Bottom line, gospel is going out. He goes, and in that, I rejoice. He chooses the source of his rejoicing, and it's not him, and it's not his circumstances. He chooses where to rejoice. And see, as we navigate this pandemic, as we navigate these you know, next weeks, months, years together, as a church, we even have to choose what we're going to rejoice on. And quite frankly, I rejoice that every Sunday we get to proclaim God's word freely here. We, every Sunday, we give invitation for people to come to know Jesus personally. We hope that believers are edified, encouraged. I choose to rejoice in that. That's what I choose to rejoice in. And then come Monday, just like you, I got to deal with emails and texts and circumstances and people. And just like you, I have to make a choice every day of where I'm going to choose to focus and what I choose to rejoice in. Because here's the thing. If I choose that the source of my joy and rejoicing is how I feel, I'm going to be one miserable person. Because there's no circumstance or no people who are ever going to meet my very high, unattainable expectations. Right? Right? I remember uh, years ago in college, there was, you know, this relationship, yada, yada, and... um, this one person turned to me and was very blunt and says, you know what? No one is ever going to meet your expectations, dude. It's like, oh, yeah. You're not here to meet my needs and my expectations, are you? <laughs> this is very blunt. And so you have to choose as a believer. Where are you focusing on? Where's your source? Where's your source of joy daily? Circumstances, people, or something bigger, right? Warren Wiersbe says this. The secret of his joy is the single mind. He lives for Christ and the gospel. But what really is the single mind? It is the attitude that says, it makes no difference what happens to me, just as long as Christ is glorified and the gospel shared with others. Paul rejoiced in spite of his circumstances because his circumstances strengthened the fellowship of the gospel, promoted the furtherance of the gospel, and guarded the faith of the gospel. Okay? Single mind. What's your ultimate purpose? It goes back to what's your purpose? What's your purpose as a believer? Where's your focus? NIV says this, Paul was at peace with his circumstances despite his unjust imprisonment and the presence of fellow believers who took advantage of his suffering to advance their own selfish ambitions. The reason for this remarkable attitude was that the advancement of the gospel was his primary goal in life. If... In our own circumstances, we lack this kind of joy, then perhaps we should search our souls to be sure that our happiness is not more firmly connected to our physical and emotional comfort than to the goals of the gospel. What's the source of your joy? What's the source of your contentment? What do you rejoice in? Bank account, retirement, job, health. It's really challenging, right? Is it the promotion of the God and his work? Glorifying God. Kingdom things, right? Things of the kingdom. And you can choose that. You can choose to live a life, right? The word doxology. How many are familiar with the word doxology, right? There's a song, doxology, right? Doxology means glory saying. 
So you might recite a doxology that speaks about the character of God. Well, here's the thing. What you can choose to do is make your life a living doxology. You can say, Lord, what's going to bring me great joy in my life is that my life brings glory to you. That's the gospel. The way you live your life as a believer promotes the gospel. Whether or not you have to speak, people are watching. And then when you speak, they're listening. How you conduct your life could be a living doxology. A living doxology, Matthew 5, 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How many here would love your light just to shine? Even in darkness, even in circumstances, even when people are intentionally maligning you and intentionally trying to mess up your life, here's the great news. Your light can shine even brighter. And when circumstances flip, and when people hammer you, and you respond in a godly, biblical way, you know what people will do? Whoa. Has anyone ever been in a circumstance and responded, I'm not saying perfectly, but responded in a godly, God-glorifying way? Has anyone ever had anyone say this to you? How do you do that? Anyone ever have that testimony? Like, how could you just not punch them? Or how come you don't want to get revenge? You should like send, if I were you, I would send this. I would respond with this text, right? If you are in a situation and it's dark and it's heavy and it's oppressive, you know what? That is the place where your light shines brightest. That's promoting the gospel. And you know what? That's where you get joy. That's where you get joy. Like, Lord, this, this is not pleasant at all. Lord, I wish this would just go away, but I choose to rejoice that you're getting the glory because I'm restraining what I really want to say and you're changing me and you're changing my attitude. You are getting the glory through this darkness right now. You can choose to rejoice in that. First Peter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare, okay, it's by your life, your words, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen? That's your source of joy. Go out there, live a godly life, the best way you can, faith, obedience, power of the Holy Spirit, and rejoice that you're being salt and light. That's it. That's where your joy can be. You wake up in the morning, you say, Father, I just want to glorify you today. Put your head down on the pillar, say, Father, I rejoice that you are glorified today. And if in the interim you mess up, what do you do? Confess and receive forgiveness, amen? That's how you can live. That gives you purpose. That gives you this consistent source of joy that every day 
You got a smile on your face because you glorified God in the smallest of details. That's all it is. That's all it is, right? And so before we prepare for communion, I just wanted to give us just some, some thoughts for reflection, right? Think about the people that you're around daily. What kind of impact are you having on them? For good or for not so good? Just think about that because you might have an ouch moment if you realize that the people around you have not really been hearing encouraging things and faithful things and, you know, they know you're a believer, but what they've really been hearing is complaining and bitterness and what happened to me. Let me tell you, if that's you, maybe this morning it's time to confess and be just more self-aware, more self-aware that you can impact others just simply by responding in a biblical way, okay? Are you focused on celebrating what God has done in your life through the hard times, right? Do you celebrate that? When was the last time you celebrated growth, deliverance, provision? You gotta, you can't forget that, right? I love the Apostle Paul. What happened to me, and he moves right into the glorifying God, right? We can't forget that. And then finally, before we take communion, here's the thing. Maybe you're going through something right now. It might be circumstance, and it might be people. It might be both. And maybe this morning, what it is before we take communion, you just need to stop and say, Father, I'm going to choose to trust you right now. I've been angry. I've been bitter. I've been scared. I've been insecure. Um, I've not been doing well with my word choice, my thought life. So, Father, I'm going to confess all that right now. And really what I do need to do is give you control of this situation and trust you that you're going to work all things for the good. I believe, you know, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's your employment situation, whether it's a family issue, work issue, I don't know. But what I do know is that every believer needs to make that constant choice to trust God his goodness and to focus not on circumstance or on people but on to, to focus that ultimately he will work it all out for your good and my good and nothing can defeat his purpose amen let's pray father thank you thank you just for a very powerful reminder through paul's letter He didn't dwell on what happened to him. He didn't play the victim card. He didn't say, woe is me. He didn't rage in anger and bitterness about how unfair and horrible his life and circumstances were. No. Paul chose to focus and rejoice in what you had done through the circumstance. The advancement of the gospel. And so, Father, this morning... We need to pause, and, and there's circumstance, and there's people in our life, I get it, all of us, all of us. And like Paul, like Corey Ten Boom, we can make a choice, a choice to trust you, a choice to rejoice that we can glorify you in how we respond, our attitude, and our words. 
in our actions, in whatever circumstance we're in at this very second. We can glorify you and we can rejoice. The circumstance may not change, the people may not change, but we can now rejoice because you're telling us, well done, good and faithful servant, because you are being glorified in our choices. So thank you for this, Father, and I do pray for those here and online that need to make the ultimate choice, the choice to trust Jesus, the Savior and Lord, the choice to come into the family of God by faith. And if that's you, this very moment, you can choose to put your faith in Jesus. You say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to the Lamb of God. The best way I know how I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. I believe Jesus Christ was crucified. He died. He rose from the dead. So, Father, I know I can't earn it. I just have to receive it by faith. It's a gift of salvation. So in the best way I know how this morning I'm receiving the gift of salvation, I make this choice because I can. And for the rest of us, Father, as, as your children, in this time of communion, it's a time of reflection. We remember you, Jesus. But today, through the word, we remember that we can choose to trust you. Whatever circumstance, whatever people were around, we can choose to trust you and rejoice that you're being glorified as we do.